Oh, hello again. Oh, hello. I'm going to be concerned whether or not you just have bad audio or you, you're, you're using your soundboard. Right, right. Ladies and gentlemen. I'm excited to see what you're going to do with this. Oh, this is fun. No, I hate it. <laughs> this one. Is that Charlie? Yeah. Hi everyone, I'm Charlie. <laughs> Hi, I'm new here. <laughs> Put me on the show. <laughs> I got to turn it off. <laughs> that was the cutest one. It was becoming a loop. I was laughing at myself and then I couldn't stop laughing. Oh my God. Oh, hi. It He's worked. in. It worked. I can't believe it. Hi, Jason. He made it. It's a miracle. Ashby, did you know Jason has a podcast that's really amazing about movies? <gasps> what? Yeah. I guess the pandemic has really just forced us all into podcasting. Yeah. There are so many podcasts now. I think every celebrity has a podcast, which means for the rest of us who have been trying to just do podcasts because, you know, it's just an avenue. We're like, oh, thanks for saturating this market. Yeah, it's actually pretty unfair. Here's the deal. I am subscribed to Michelle Obama's podcast, but I have not listened. But I listen to Jason's every oh, okay. day. <laughs> That's nice. Plug. I'm going to put that on the website. I listen to it every day because it takes... <laughs> At least four days. We're trying to not make the episodes so long. We have, I think, hit four hours on one episode. You know what? I don't really want that to stop, though, because I... You're fine with with our podcast being every episode longer than Titanic? Yeah, honestly. Well, because um, we said this actually last week. We have this is not in an episode yet, but like the way people listen to podcasts in the past six months has totally changed. No one's like commuting or like going to the gym or the same way they used to. And so I tend to consume podcasts in bite sized chunks, like doing the dishes or making dinner or, you know, like walk around the block, like things like that. So I'm already just taking bite sized snippets, but I don't want a 30 minute podcast. I don't, I personally don't like those. I don't think it's enough time to like build anything. Um, so then I just like hop in and hop out whenever I like. So if it's three hours, I don't care at all. I, I agree. I enjoy going down the rabbit holes. See, and, you know, I brought this up last week about how like I don't I can't find a time to do it because it was mostly when I was driving, which I'm not doing much of that right now. I will politely disagree with you about the bite sized episodes because it took me mm, way longer than most people to finally like actually jump into a podcast because the length of them turned me off Mm. now once now that i've been into them like i feel a little bit better but even now i'm starting to get that feeling of like oh right this is an investment of time when i do get back into them so i i have these like mixed feelings about how long podcast episodes are i i respect your opinion i think that's really reasonable and probably very normal (laughs) well i bet there's i bet there's a good split i bet it's you know there's people that have similar thoughts uh, like like of what a high what i have versus like uh what you guys said so uh, you know we're representing everyone here <laughs> and if cheryl were here she would represent the people who just don't even care about podcasts <laughs> um so jason here's the part of the podcast that is awkward i never know how to start them well i'm excited well, to hear how awkward it gets <laughs> i mean we already have that one recording of the ridiculous voice so <laughs> yeah that's actually a really really good, great place to start you need to get yourself like an MC, like Saturday Night Live has. You need your own Don right. Pardo. 
That's well. That's that's where we. That's what we should do. We should like click over to the voice and then like be like, I'm I'm Robert Theme Park. I don't know. I don't even. I'm terrible at making up names. Yeah, you are. <laughs> I kind of like Robert Theme Park. Hold on here. Okay. <clears throat> Hi everybody. I'm Robert Theme Park. Welcome this week to podcast. You're all clear. We're talking about Universal Studios with special guest Jason Anders. Give it like a good like a like it's a wrestling match. Something to oh, really get the blood pumping. Sir, a big like ladies a... and gentlemen. Oh wait, they have they have this cathedral. <laughs> oh, that sounds like yeah. Let's see. That's cathedral. something that's. <laughs> yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome this week to podcast. You are all clear. This week we're talking about vintage Universal Studios with special guest Jason Anders. <laughs> that was shockingly great. Was it? <laughs> I was Sweating. low expectations for the cathedral app. <laughs> We'd like to thank Richard. Wait, what was his name again? Richard Theme Park. Robert Theme Park. Robert Theme Park. Thank you, Robert. <laughs> Richard Theme Park and Robert Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> By the end of this episode, I'm going to have to write down all the characters that we've created. Mm. Hopefully you have something to work with to start this thing off. Okay, great. I do. We did not say our names, but we said Jason's name 17 times. So I think that's all that matters. Perfect. Welcome aboard. Please keep all hands, arms, legs, and feet inside at all times. Podcast, you are all clear. Jason is joining us tonight. From another podcast land, um, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, uh, so, Movie Land Video is a uh, a podcast about movies. It's actually named after my childhood video store. That when I was a kid, uh, I think starting around fifth, yeah, around fourth or fifth grade, I started renting movies from there, and they were uh, uh, wonderful and to let me rent uh, R-rated movies way before I should have been allowed to. Um, so, uh, it, it became my film school and, uh, I would tell my, you know, I, I'd go in renting a Tarantino movie and tell my parents it was honey. I shrunk the kids. Similar. Yeah. Very similar. Uh, no longer exists the actual real movie land video that was in, uh, uh, Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. So we decided to pay tribute to it and start a podcast about movies called movie land video podcast. Um, so, so that's, much. yeah. Wait, hold on. Uh, Pigeon Forge. Okay, so this is definitely related to our podcast. Were you a frequent visitor of Dollywood? Not only that. Okay, let me tell you a really quick, very bizarre story. I used to visit Disney World as a kid every year. Every January, my parents would take me and my sister out of school, and we'd go and we'd visit for a week. Uh, we ran into this guy named Lumiere, I think. Oh, no, <laughs> did he have candles for literally hands? Literally not his <laughs> And I'm not talking about the character. Uh, and he was a he was a street vendor at uh, MGM Studios. Okay. He had, and I guess that he was an independent contractor. He had these puppets that he had built. It's like a dog and an old man, and he would run around, you know, trying to sell these puppies, peddling puppets on in uh, MGM Studios in front of Grommans. Uh, oh my so gosh. my dad just had, for whatever reason, you know, I should ask him why, because he had stars in his eyes. Uh, he just thought it was the coolest idea uh, to sell puppets in the theme park. So mm-hmm. we went out to pl- we went to dinner with the man. Uh, we went to Planet Amazing. Hollywood to discuss. I-, I swear to God, this is a true story. We went to Planet <laughs> Hollywood 
to discuss with Lumiere going into business, going into the the uh, puppet peddling business. Mm-hmm. Um, now we are living at Pigeon Forge at this time, so when we come back home, before I knew it, our basement was filled with boxes full of puppets that were made by Lumiere. What? And we went into business of selling puppets at Dollywood. We opened up, but we became the Dollywood puppet peddlers. Now, me and my sister are young. I think she's like fourth or fifth grade. I'm like sixth or seventh grade. We're, we're young. We're in middle school. Through some loophole, we're able to work as puppet peddlers, as minors. So my first real job was peddling puppets at Dollywood. Me and my sister ran around talking to families and trying to sell the things. And oh, my gosh. That's so amazing. I've been working at theme parks since before it was legal. That's such a beautiful story i didn't That's realize fantastic. i didn't realize how deep this went how deep theme parks go for you what came after that the first time that i applied legally to work in a theme park was <laughs> right. in 2005 that's when i did did the college program in august of 2005 and then ended up staying there classic story right that is the, that really is that's that's the classic st- uh, vista way and the worst one yes yeah. vista way and then just moved to the apartments across the street once i was done with my college program uh, where were, where were you assigned for your college program i was very excited when i got there and you stand in line and you fill out all the paperwork and they finally hand <laughs> you the packet to tell you where you're working and it was uh the back lot tour at mgm studios oh, oh rest in peace yeah i was God. so pumped and i got there and they said Right now, we're low on trainers, so we're going to put you at the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids playground. Oh, no. Excellent. And so I lobbied and screamed and kicked and cried until they eventually pulled me from the playground. I mean, the playground, look, I love Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I even loved the playground as a kid. But, mm-hmm. you know, I can't tell you how many times I was peed on. I was like, I really want to give tours. Um, that was what I like to consider my first job. But ground zero was the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids playground, which... It's so funny because I was a uh, later at some point in my time there, I was a leader in the backlands. And just until you said that, I forgot that the, the playground was like the dumping ground. If there was ever like a an influx of people coming in, it was like, oh, my God, what do we do? We don't have enough trainers or we're still, you know, if, whatever the situation was, it was like, oh, eh, we'll just send them over to the playground. <laughs> And it was always, I always felt terrible because I was like, my God, we got to get those people out of the playground. (laughs) Well, I eventually became a trainer at Backlot Tour. And I can tell you the reason why is that it's terrifying uh, to train people, kids coming in from the college program. You're training them to drive Mm -hmm. this massive shuttle, this massive tram through Catastrophe Canyon. I mean, you're driving on this wet, rickety bridge where you have to line up perfectly the tires with all these marks so that the bridge can shake and there could be an earthquake effect. Probably the scariest moment of my life is when a, a trainee drove the uh, drove the car, drove the shuttle off the bridge. Fortunately, Whoops. like, it got caught, it got wedged, so we didn't fall into the, the fiery canyon. <laughs> but, oh my gosh. But, uh, but yeah, I, when I came to Universal Studios, I was just like, so I, I respected them so much that they were using union drivers. Like, none of the tour right. guides coming through drive those shuttles. Kids with hangovers, come on in, drive your uh, backlot tour. Right, right. Yeah. Did you stay at the backlot tour then? So I stayed at Disney. Right. I went full time and I uh, I would have to look at a chart to tell you where I worked when moving forward. I stayed at backlot tour for a while. I know I went from there to the opening team of Toy Story Mania. And then nice. I just, I got into this, this groove of just, I want to work everywhere. So I would just transfer every six months. I'd go work somewhere new. 
Oh, nice. Which is how we eventually met. I, I can't even tell you, though, how many places I went. But probably the most nostalgic for me was working at Journey into Imagination. Because that was my favorite ride mm. as a kid. So I, I mean, the ride I don't like anymore. I, I I think it's an embarrassment. But I but the original Figment <laughs> ride, uh, the original 1983 ride that I went on. I mean, I rode it before I could even. I don't even know that I was fully conscious the first time I rode Journey mm. into Imagination. <clears throat> but it's just it's been part of my uh, psyche. It's part of my blood. So so eventually going to work there was probably like it was one of those moments where you know you, it just felt like your life came full circle well right because when you work at, at that attraction it's not like you have to ride the ride all the time like maybe to open it or whatever but you mostly just get to enjoy the environment oh yeah and i think my biggest regret possibly in life is not ever taking a picture with any of the figment animatronics doing the nightly closing walks of the track that mm. is and I think that uh, I'm going to regret that forever. Yeah. Well, I thank you for being brave enough to say that out loud on our podcast. I appreciate this it. Is a, this is an Oprah moment. I might I might start crying. <laughs> so you mentioned, though, yeah. So we all know each other because there was an overlapping time when we all worked at Festival of the Lion King. And it's tough to be a bug. That's not, You know what? Uh, these two attractions are the equivalent of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Backlot Tour. <gasps> yeah, oh, uh, no. Here we go with the opinions. Here we go. <laughs> day that I came into work, or well, let me rephrase that, any day that I looked at my schedule two weeks out, I hoped and prayed that it would be at Festival of the Lion King. When it was at It's Tough to Be a Bug, It was. I, I was always disappointed. That's. I wanted to be <laughs> in the theater every day. Listen, you know what? I'm gonna I, I'm gonna agree with that. So I got um, actually let me back up because this is a funny Jason, I feel like we have an inverse story of all of this. So I also did the college program and same same kind of um, butterflies in my stomach, doing all the forms, taking all your photos, the whole thing, getting so excited, waiting in line to get your assignment. And I got handed my packet and I opened it up and it said, Kilimanjaro safaris. Ooh. And I, everyone around me was like, oh my God, so cool. And I threw up. Um, because um, prior to moving to Florida, I had gotten my driver's license about two weeks before I left. And I had never been on a microphone in my entire life. I wasn't in a spelling bee. I was never in a school play. Now you have to drive amongst the lions uh -huh. and tigers and rhinoceros yep. while being on mm -hmm. a microphone. And not even spieling, like spieling based on what you see. So it's also a level of like acting or improv that I just had no experience and no comfort with. So I was like, I can't do it. And so they sent me where people go to die. But it turned out to be <laughs> the greatest moment of my life. They were like, oh, you can go to Camp Mini Mickey. And I was like, well, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> um, and I entered the most magical land of all time, Camp Mini Mickey. And then so I started at lion king and after about a year and a half all my managers uh were like hey you have to get cross trained at it's tough to be a bug and i was kicking kicking and screaming because <laughs> i did not want to um <laughs> grit cross train but i did and, and in the end it ended up being fun and i met a whole other kind of group of people that were very fun and i learned a lot but yeah the days you got lion king were the best days of all I, I love the new time. theater and it's set in Africa for Lion King. It makes a lot more sense. But there was something yeah. about the camp setting, you know, that old man walking around playing the acoustic guitar. Oh, Guitar Dan. Guitar Dan. Guitar Dan. Mm -hmm. It felt like we were 
actually at a camp. Yes. I enjoyed it. It was yeah, the yeah. best. We were yeah. all wearing t- ill-fitting jean shorts. Ill-fitting? Speak for yourself. Oh, <laughs> well, Actually, I never put on the shorts. I always wore the, the full-on jeans, and they were like... Oh, interesting. Yeah. they. You know, I had my boots. I, yep. You know, I came in camping gear. You had, like, a camel back on. And <laughs> I actually slept on property. No one knows this. <laughs> no, Camp Mini Mickey had the most wonderful background music, too. It was, like, acoustic guitar versions of Disney songs. And so it was just so peaceful. It was hard to be in a bad mood if you worked at Festival of the Lion King back then. Truthfully. Like, all even the standing out... Uh, what were those, like... um positions where you're just like standing what was that what was that called you're like gre- greeter or like greeters. what do you <laughs> well yeah like on literally greeters you're like placed in front of a fan and you're supposed to be like right, show right. 30 minutes um yeah. those were more pleasant than they should have been because of the music you know what great. the most miserable position i think i, I i've ever had and i'm not even o- talking about oatmeal chocolate. cookie uh <laughs> oatmeal co- no oatmeal cookie was like heaven compared to this and oh, uh and this was when I this was when Ashby was my supervisor, and I worked at Mission Space. There is a oh, yeah. there is That's a right. there's a greeter position that for whatever reason we, we could never get a fan put there. It didn't look yes. good. <laughs> we doesn't you know doesn't fit the theming to have a fan. So just you know it's just two hours just and you stand in these mission. Like wearing a spacesuit, standing in direct sunlight for two hours, it is like the death position. Oh I wouldn't. And you hand out cards saying, "Be careful, you're gonna vomit." Take the yeah. orange. Here's your orange card. Be careful, don't vomit. Uh, yeah. And you just wanted to vomit yourself standing there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wonder That's if they ever funny. got a fan. So far, we've talked about lots of Disney jobs, which is great. But at some point, Jason, you skip over to some other theme parks. I do. Uh, I, let me think. If I could tell you the year, maybe 2008, somewhere in there. I Okay, so Universal Studios Florida is just, if I go back to the 90s, it's my favorite theme park. Growing up, coming here for Disney, I always wanted to visit Universal. But my, Disney, uh, my, my family's very much a Disney family, so any vacation was a Disney vacation. And it was like yeah. pulling teeth to get one day in at Universal. I was more intrigued, I think, by Universal Studios than even MGM, but those were my two favorite parks. I loved the movie stuff. But when I was thinking about getting a job there, I just, I would have done anything. I don't even know what job I was working at Disney at the time, but I did work both Universal and Disney simultaneously at one point. Mm -hmm. And my first job at Universal Studios was, well, the title was Carts. And what that job means is... You, uh, in Jurassic Park was where I was stationed. I literally just shoveled ice into a beer cart all day. Mm. Just keep the beer cold. Oh. <laughs> where's the Someone's beer? Where's gotta. the cart boy? Has anyone seen carts? Uh, <laughs> and it was grueling, man. I, I like, that was one of the most difficult, because you had to stay positive, because all you're doing, it's kind of like, I imagine like what it might have been like to shovel coal on a train. Mm-hmm. Like that was just all day, just shovel the ice, shovel the ice, and then push this giant cart of ice up a hill and then shovel all the ice into the beer cart on top of the beers and then repeat. Do it it again. (laughs) 40 to 50 more hours, repeat. Damn, that's a thankless but important job, keeping the beer cold in Jurassic Park. Like someone actually has to keep bringing the ice and that was my that was my job. Very thankless job. So I did that for as little of time 
as I could, and eventually went over to the last three weeks of Earthquake, the big one, mm-hmm. uh, the Earth, the Earthquake ride that they had at uh, Universal since I think they opened, was three weeks out from closing down and being remodeled into Disaster, major motion picture ride starring Ooh. you. Um, That's so, a good one. Yeah, so I went there to close down Earthquake and then be on the opening team for Disaster, which was... Uh, such a great upgrade that was a fun ride if you haven't if you don't know what disaster is uh definitely look up the i I don't know if the videos are on youtube but the videos of the rock doing the what was it mother nature uh the idea is that you are coming in as a guest to be cast in a movie uh, a movie studio run by christopher walken um, and it's really cool, like the way you'd see it at Harry Potter, like at Gringotts, uh, it had like a 3D effect of Christopher Walken mm-hmm. walking out on stage and it, welcome you to uh, Disaster Studios. Uh, he essentially was playing like, uh, oh, what was the guy, uh, Jennings Lang, who made all the disaster movies like Airport and Earthquake. Uh, he was essentially doing a parody of that film producer. And you're there to be part of one of his disaster movies. And so they turned the classic subway train into something that you would be filmed on. And then when you're leaving the subway station after the earthquake effect happens, everyone's watching a trailer for the movie starring The Rock that they have all now been integrated into. And that trailer alone was just hilarious. But, mm-hmm. um, but that was a fun, definitely a fun place to work. That was my first universal job. And so I worked simultaneously at both for a long time. Uh, until eventually I ended up moving out to California and was a supervisor for entertainment at Universal Studios out here, uh, which was just a dream come true. Talk about like a leap from cart boy to supervisor of entertainment. <laughs> I just feel like that was a ro- that was a journey. But uh... but isn't that like every like Hollywood like story though it's like here comes carts and then i directed this movie (laughs) yeah right did i take the job of shoveling ice just to be able to say that i started shoveling ice i don't know maybe 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 subconsciously i said that's the job for me yeah we all have to start (laughs) in carts like emotionally yeah emotionally Mm -hmm. what is a what is a um what did you What did you say the job was it in California? So I was a supervisor of entertainment operations for Universal and Hollywood. Essentially, that was uh, overseeing characters. Uh, so I was a supervisor cool. for the performers who did characters in the park, whether it was SpongeBob or the actors on the street or up in the New York windows. I, I oversaw their them as employees was my specific job. That was a that was a really a really fun job. I don't think, though, that, and I skipped over the most, the, my favorite, I don't think, in all the jobs that I've ever had, the most fun, I think, that I've ever had on a job is being a VIP tour guide at Universal Orlando. Oh, that was, wow. That was, mm-hmm. if I could, I'd almost take the pay cut just to go back to the fun of that job. What you're doing is you're taking, sometimes it's a, a big group, sometimes it's just one family, but you're just taking people through the park and you're riding rides with them and talking to them right. about the history and uh, whatever they want to know. That you know, sometimes they don't want to know anything, so the, the, and they just want you to be their butler. <laughs> to be quite mm-hmm. honest, sometimes they want all the behind-the-scenes stuff, and they just they, cool. they want a full-blown tour. So, but yeah, that was the most fun. But the but the best part of that job was doing what we called R.I.P. tours, and for Halloween mm-hmm. Horror Nights, there's nothing more fun to get paid to do. And to take a group of about 15 drunk people, get them, in, get them in the VIP lounge, 
have them throw back some alcohol and then walk them through every <laughs> maze in Horror Nights. Uh, oh my god, that was that is the most fun you can possibly have at a job. Could we just recreate that anyway? <laughs> like, could we just go to Horror Nights when we have Horror Nights again? And I, I can kick back a few somewhere, somewhere. <laughs> not a VIP lounge, just in a corner. And then you can take us to the houses, just like walk in front of us and point out some shit. I'll grab, a, I'll grab a costume. I'll throw on my VIP. So many strange costume designs in theme parks. But uh, but yeah, that, that would be my favorite job. But again, same thing with Universal as in Disney. I've worked retail, restaurants, rides, entertainment, pr- pretty much any, you know, research, anything, anything that was available for me to transfer to. I don't know that I was doing myself any favors by doing that. I think I just looked like I got bored frequently. <laughs> oh, so you, you want to transfer again? Okay. Um, yeah, the VIP nice. tour guide. I feel like that's kind of like a, a dis- job designed for you. Did they teach you fun facts about Universal or did you kind of come in knowing? Oh, <laughs> I uh, probably the proudest moment for me or the, the, the moment that I felt like, okay, this is going to be fun was in training when they said, okay, we're going to walk the park and at random, and there's probably a group of 15 or 20 of us guides. And uh, they're going to say, we're going to, we're just going to point to someone. And if we point to you, you stop where you are. And then you have to talk for 20 minutes about whatever's surrounding you. Now that can be kind of, I mean, there's a lot to learn, even though I came into that job feeling confident in how much I knew about universal pictures and the theme park and, and all of that, which by the way, there are a lot more movie references in every square inch of Universal Studios Florida than I think anyone realized. I had no idea how many movie references were built into that park. But, um, so if you want to play some kind of game of, let's see how many movie references we can find, you could spend, I mean, there are hundreds, hundreds that you, I, I just, it never stood out to me like until still? I learned. Still, yeah, still, still wow. to this day. And most of them are going to be on the Hollywood Street or in the yeah. New York area. Uh, and all that hasn't changed since the park opened. Right. Um, but uh, slowly they're, you know, they, you know, they're removing things and it's becoming less and less of a movie studio park. But mm-hmm. yeah, to this day, you could still find hundreds. But um, we were walking past, you know, there's so many places that you, you, you think, I hope they pick on me here and not there or here. Because I don't know how much I can say about this specific area. Yeah. Well, they pointed to me when we stopped somewhere between a day in the park with Barney and Woody Woodpecker's Nuthouse Coaster. Excellent. And I just proudly said challenge accepted because <laughs> this was actually an area I hoped I would get picked. And I said, what would I, what would you say if I could tell you that these things, like everywhere you look, everything is connected within the universal universe. Even this area here, I could tell you that Woody Woodpecker has a direct connection to what used to be here, which was the Bates Motel set. Um, so before Barney, oh. before Curious George, before... Woody Woodpecker's Nuthouse Coaster. The Bates Motel set stood there for, uh, you know, it was for fans of the movie, but ultimately it was there for a few years, but they built it to be used for Psycho 4. Um, Psycho 4 was a made-for-showtime movie, which starred Anthony Perkins, who was in the original. Uh, It was written by Joseph Stefano, who wrote the original screenplay for Hitchcock's movie, and also starred Olivia Hussey. This movie was one of the first to film at Universal. This is when they started flooding the park. When the park first opened, they wanted it to be, you show up as a guest. In fact, you walk in the front gates 
uh, in the early 90s, and there was always this production schedule of things happening. Welcome to Universal. Here's what's shooting today. And I think they always wanted to have that board oh, cool. filled. So some of the things you might see there, Sequest DSV with Roy Scheider. I was a huge fan of that show, by the way. I even I was a kid that went home and wrote a fan letter to Roy Scheider saying how much I loved him in Jaws and how much I love Sequest. And they sent me back this, <laughs> this postcard with Roy Scheider's like stamp on it. So I guess oh, like wow. maybe you would be fooled to think that he signed it but it was like a stamp but yeah there used to be a studio tour there an actual tram tour that would take you through like boneyard of props and around the sound stages where sequest filmed and other things but yeah one of the things that people would flock to was the bates motel well psycho 4 is the only psycho movie to film there but if anyone saw psycho 3 part of the score by carter burwell is the Woody Woodpecker theme. There's a scene where where Norman Bates is walking to one of the cabins where he thinks his mother is, and you kind of hear it in the you hear it in the score and it's and and you kind of if you if you're really attuned to it you might think is that the woody woodpecker laugh it's like a horror <laughs> score and he walks into the cabin and uh the corpse of his mother is watching woody woodpecker on tv she's watching a woody oh woodpecker my gosh uh and so i directly connected woody woodpecker to that and i said also to my left is the E.T. adventure, and that also has a direct connection to Psycho. Does anyone know what it is? Psycho for the beginning, which filmed right where we were standing, uh, was kind of like the Bates Motel TV show where it showed you uh, Norman as a young boy. Um, So Olivia Hussey played his mom, but Henry Thomas played young Norman Bates, who was the boy from E.T., so, oh my god! Uh, so I just go on this psycho rant in the middle of Barney, <laughs> and and I, everyone's even my trainers like their jaws dropped that 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 was the I went on a full twenty minute speech about that. I don't think they had heard. I think one of the trainers knew exactly what I was talking about, but most of them were learning that for the first time. And so in training to be able to teach my trainers something new. And something I was, like, actually excited to talk about. And that was just a moment that I felt like, ah, this job is tailored to my to my existence. Like, this is what I should yes. be doing. I, you know, these are things that I've been talking about since I was literally a kid and no one's ever cared. And I was like, but, finally, yeah. I'm, in a, I'm in a venue where people will pay to hear a story like that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. You probably told that exact same story when you told were told it to my 10. parents. And they're like, why yeah. are you watching R-rated movies? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you said that was Honey, I Shrunk the Kid. You little shit. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> when did uh, the Bates Motel, when did that get torn down? When was that replaced? It was, uh, that was all demolished. In, it was there for the park open uh, because Psycho 4 came out in 1990. And then that was all demolished in 98. So it was there for oh, eight wow. years. In fact, that was the first thing. Universal, I always tell people, is my gateway to horror movies and really my gateway to movie making in general, Um, Mm. but especially horror. I mean, I remember looking at the brochure as a kid and being kind of like hesitant to go there because of some of the stuff like the Hitchcock Theater. There's an attraction there um, called Alfred Hitchcock, The Art of Making Movies. And just the pamphlet for that attraction in the brochure was terrifying. And then you had the what today is known as the horror makeup show, which is still there. And I'm so glad that it's still there. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. It's so It was originally themed to the Phantom of the Opera. God, what was it called? What? It was, I think it was like the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. It was the Phantom of the Opera horror makeup show. 
Uh, and then it went on to be the gory, gruesome, and grotesque horror makeup show. But when I was a kid, mm-hmm. there was an Im- a real creepy image of Lon Chaney as the Phantom, him presenting. And it was actually the, the Lon Chaney image and him presenting the horror makeup show. So there was all this kind of creepy stuff. Uh, there was a mm-hmm. Ghostbusters show. But Ugh. I was drawn to it. And, and even like the Hitchcock attraction, there was a sign outside saying, this attraction is rated PG-13. No wow. one, And I was under oh, 13. Wow. There was something about, it's kind of like, as a kid wanting to see an R-rated movie, there's something just very romantic about it. There's something that draws you in like, <laughs> I'm not allowed to, yeah. I've got to see it. That is for people older than me and I've got to see it. Uh, what was the quote? Oh, when they tore down Bates Motel. Yeah, so so that was there. Oh, so what I was going to tell you was my first introduction to horror was, and it's not there anymore. They still have a hard rock cafe, but uh, before we ever went to Universal Studios, the first few years of the park being open, they had a hard rock cafe in a different uh, section. It was a it was com- a completely different building than it is today, and from the back porch, it overlooked Fivel the Fivel Goes West Playland, and you could oh see on the hill, you could see the psych- the Bates Mansion oh. and the Bates Motel sitting on the hill, and just from afar. I, it looked like a haunted house. And I thought, is that uh-huh. the haunted house of the park? That just looks... I was so intrigued just by the visual of it. So the first time I went to that Hitchcock attraction, it exits into a Bates Motel gift shop where they were selling Alfred Hitchcock movies on VHS. And I remember mm-hmm. specifically buying Psycho and buying The Birds. And that was... Those were the oh first, my gosh. Horror, first horror movies I ever watched. And that that's what got me into horror. But... Uh, yeah, but but seeing seeing the Bates mode, seeing the Bates Mansion from the Hard Rock Cafe as a kid was just like I always even if we weren't going to Universal, my parents loved Hard Rock. We would go eat at Hard Rock, and I at least wanted to stand on the back porch and look at the Psycho Mansion, even before I knew what it was. I just I was drawn to haunted houses and stuff like that as a kid. That was always if we went to the fair or we went to Disney or anywhere. It was where's the haunted mansion? Where's the haunted attraction? That's what I was the most excited about. Mm. And when was the first time you went to, like, you're a Horror Nights person, too, I guess, then. that I'm making an assumption. Yes, but I was not, <laughs> Horror Nights was not on my radar until I moved to Disney for the college program. And that's when everyone there was like, mm. oh, we've got to go to Horror Nights. So my first visit to Horror Nights was, it was called Sweet 16. It was their 16th uh, anniversary. Um, so they themed it to a birthday party of Sweet, Six- Sweet 16 Horror Comes Home. And I was just like, everyone was scared to go. Like, everyone was just like, this is, a you know, like they, they, like everyone was like super pumped to go, but they were, I think most of us hadn't ever been to Horror Nights and just the billboards alone. I mean, sometimes they would get pretty intense to, to the point that Orlando would ban them. They would say, you can't have that up. You've got to, so there's some pretty infamous Horror Nights billboards, art designs that are out there that are actually considered banned artwork. Um, But um, Sweet 16 was a great, introduction to horror nights because they brought back four of the icons so i got an introduction to all of the icons um like the director the storyteller most importantly jack the clown mm-hmm. uh and then they mm-hmm, had mazes mm-hmm. all all you know dedicated to them so i got to meet all the all the icons with that first that first visit but then also they had uh and i was just starting to really get into horror movies like i you know i'd seen i'd seen hitchcock movies and you know i'd seen like the basic stuff but like really digging into like people under the stairs they had a a maze called people under the stairs under construction which was a a prequel to Wes craven's movie and they had a a psycho maze called psychopath the return of norman bates 
And the idea is you're going through, I don't even know if it's set at a specific time, but you're walking through Norman Bates' nightmares. Like the entrance to the maze was the Bates Motel. So you walk in where you check in and then you walk into cabin one and then you kind of spiral into what a nightmare might be like that Norman would have. Yeah, so this just kind of like captured my imagination and I, I it's so much fun anyway. Like just as an event to go with your friends through scare zones and mazes and just be scared all night and drink and you know yeah it's just a fun it's a fun party but that first introduction to it just kind of was like you're telling me there's a new there are i don't remember how many were then six or seven there's like seven new attractions every year they're always new and they're always it's not just like you're walking through um you know a halloween maze where it's michael myers chasing you around like there's a lot of deep thought going on here full productions yeah there's a lot of storytelling going on that kind of like fed into me watching more horror and i would watch movies based on mazes that i went into and so i just that's that's what officially spiraled me into true horror fandom that is my i will tell you this horror nights is my favorite event of all time and i'm not talking about favorite universal i'm not even talking about favorite theme park event i'm talking about academy awards yeah. Uh, the Olympics. Uh, Horror Nights is number one for me <laughs> in, in all of that. Like, that's that's the thing that I, I got to do every year and I'm most excited about. Are you guys, I mean, are either of you Horror Nights uh, fans or obsessed? Ooh, Ashby, you should answer this one first. Yeah, I mean, I... Complicated. It's funny, we actually, I think we had an episode a while back, right? Like yeah. last last October, last, I think, yeah, right? Yeah, a year ago, yeah. And um, we talked a little bit about it. But yeah, my first trip i i want to say it was the sweet 16 because i think that's what i i think that's what i talked about how i went back i went for the first time because like i was hesitant to go because i was always very scared i i it was more of like i just don't like being scared <laughs> um but i went because i was like oh this looks you know the story seems cool and the billboards like you were mentioning were a big thing for me too and uh the first time i went i was like you know I'll look past the getting scared part because I really just want to see the movie aspect of this, like the production, the sets, the things that they make, because it was always fascinating to me. I, uh, similar. Yeah, I um, was always very, I was in Orlando a couple of years and funny you mentioned the billboards because those were too intimidating to me and even like the TV commercials and I um, I had been to some haunted hayrides growing up and I was not a fan. They were too scary for me. And I was in, actually Cheryl and I went to school together and we had a class that took us on like a VIP tour of Universal uh, Horror Nights. And I went because it was required for class. I guess not, I probably (laughs) opt out, but you know, peer pressure and stuff. And so I went and um, because we were on like a VIP tour and we had a guide pointing out all of these stories and facts and figures and easter eggs and all sorts of like the artistry and design and storytelling of it all i fell in love with the whole experience but i was still very scared like there's not a house i've ever been in that as i'm walking into it i'm like why am i doing this why am i doing this why am i doing this i don't i'm scared i'm scared i'm scared i'm scared um and then i leave and it's just this like sigh of relief and then after a couple minutes, everything digests. And you're like, well, that was beautiful. Like, I right. understand that that was blood and gore, but it was also beautiful. How can that happen at the same time? Every year it gets more beautiful. The design yeah. and, the, and the imagination that they put into these things. Funny you mentioned, like, the VIP thing. You know, that, that job, that 
that's so much fun to walk to walk people through the mazes. But I think honestly, what's even more fun than that job uh, was a tour that we did called Unmasking the Horror, which during yeah. the day oh, we yeah. would flip on the lights to all the houses, and you would basically you could do a full day or a half day, but we could we would essentially take you through every maze and mm-hmm. walk you room by room. You could take photos. Oh my god! Yeah, you take photos with the props and on all the rooms. I think now they stopped letting you take photos in IP. Uh, so if it's Halloween or or poltergeist, mm. no. But if it's like a Jack the Clown house, yes. Um, but uh, but yeah, you would stop in every room and talk about like you know you're in the from from dusk till dawn bar, and you can say, well, Robert Rodriguez came in here and he specifically wanted to add this for this reason, and this tells this part of the story from the movie that he didn't actually tell in the film. Um, and it's very mm. very much like the the spieling that you might not get to do day to day because people ultimately some care some don't people are specifically paying yeah. like walk me through these rooms and give me all the stories like that yeah. was that's when you're talking to like the real horror and theme park fans and that <clears> was just that was a blast and those days well, were long you would do 9 a.m to 6 p.m doing those tours and then you would immediately you eat dinner and then you'd do a tour all to, you know till two in the morning with a with a group uh, but there's so much adrenaline there that you don't I never. I don't think anyone ever really. It, when the when the event came to an end, everyone just collapsed. It's like, well, now we need two weeks off. And that's like scare actors too. Is like most of the people who work in the houses also have a full time day job somewhere, and then they come to the park and you know do physical acting all night long over and over again, and yeah, just collapse at the end. That's amazing. And then of course, yeah, I don't know. You have that which is no longer there. You had that wonderful break of comedy with bill and ted's excellent halloween adventure sure uh wish cheryl was here right now because she that's her favorite thing in the whole world well tell cheryl that i am uh i'm doing a so i have another website outside of movie land video called full circle magazine uh i've been doing the last couple of weeks interviews with people that have worked on bill and ted's uh halloween show at florida specifically and um I can't remember the total number of people, but I've got everyone from Julie Zimmerman, who co-created Horror, Horror yes. Nights, to Jason Sorrell, who was the first writer of the show, um, oh, wow. to the cast and crew that were working on the, the Farewell Tour. Um, oh, so it's going to be called We're History, a celebration of Bill and Ted's uh, excellent Halloween adventure. It's out now. If you're listening, go check it out. FullCircleMagazine.com. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I do, I've done a few uh, pieces for my blog where I've interviewed people that have worked on different areas of, of Universal Studios. Some people that worked on, I did an interview with uh, a lady named Susan Lustig, who was a producer, she was called a producer of the original park. So she worked with um, Steven Spielberg and all, all the people to actually envision what Universal was going to be. And her uh-huh. job specifically was building the Alfred Hitchcock attraction. So oh, come on. she had yeah. like, um, Cary Grant and Janet Lee and Anthony Perkins, like she was actually bringing them in to film segments. Jimmy Stewart, she brought in to film a segment. Oh, wow. Um, so, I mean, that's like, that was, that was really cool. But yeah, I, I've done a few, a few blog posts where I interview creative directors from the park talking about things that they've done. Mike Aiello, John Murdy. But I'm just, I'm so fascinated by the creative process of, of putting these things together. And specifically Horror Nights. But I told you my, my first love is the 1990 Universal Studios Florida. If I could go back to how the park was then, then I would say that is my favorite theme park of all time. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go back. Let's talk about 1990s Universal. Oh, man. 
I'll never forget the brochure that I opened and and I think I, I had also seen a commercial play at some point before getting that brochure. And the brochure looked a lot like the commercial. The brochures don't look like this anymore. I've got to, you have to upload a photo somewhere because it's, there's just so much to the old advertisements. And it's very dark and very, what your idea of Hollywood would be. Um, but you open up the first thing and there's like 50 photos of different celebrities in the park doing their, I think MGM had the same kind of brochures. So you see like Michael J. Fox and all of them putting their handprints in the cement. And there was oh, just something cool. about, if you were a movie fan, which I already was, it just made you feel like this is ho- this is basically Hollywood. And they were actually filming movies and TV shows there. One of my favorite movies filmed at Universal Studios Florida. Um, uh, we talked about Gremlins. It's the same director, Joe Dante. He made a movie called Matinee starring John Goodman, uh, which is kind of like a, I wouldn't even call it a parody, but not actually based on the director, William Castle, but it was about like old monster movies. But, uh, but yeah, that movie filmed there. And reading about that, and I mentioned Sequest and all that, like, these things film here. We've got to go here. Yeah. This park opened in 1990, and it's did Disney copy them with MGM? They actually announced this park uh, in 1986 from Hollywood. They announced. Hmm. Wow. Hmm. There's definitely a lot of talk of Disney caught wind of Universal, and then they got on top of building MGM, and yeah, that's how you kind of ended up with two of the same. But that's suspicious timing. Yeah, but the original. Okay, so their new slogan. I don't want to hate on anything Universal does, but their new slogan is "Let yourself whoa." What the oh, hell is on. that? I don't. Well, how do you spell that? How do you spell that? Like W O A H. Let yourself whoa. Oh boy. It just let's not. <laughs> I hate that. But when it, when I was a kid, it was uh, Universal Studios Florida, the only place on earth where you can ride the movie. When they when the announcer said that, you saw kids on bikes flying over the moon with ET. And that just mm. like, oh my God, where, what? I've got to, just all the advertisements from back then were incredible. I believe this is like the first, I mean, you can count Universal Studios Hollywood, but this was like a whole new thing. Like the mm-hmm. attractions here are on a whole new level from, from Hollywood. Right. Um, so I mentioned you walk up, they have like Slate saying, this is production for the day. I, I, you know, I'll never forget my first visit there. That's one of the first things I noticed beyond the globe was here's what's filming and I'm just like these are things that I like would watch on a daily basis uh Nickelodeon shows especially right. oh, yeah. Nickelodeon most of those shows from Double Dare to Clarissa Explains It All uh was filmed at Universal Studios Florida and they would all end with the same uh graphic image uh Arcade was filmed before a live studio audience yeah, at yeah. Universal Studios Florida and it's this slime fountain with Nickelodeon Studios behind it, and it just yeah. looks like the most like forget Disney. This is the most magical yeah. place on earth. Uh, yeah, <laughs> this was the promised land for kids who grew up with '90s Nickelodeon. Absolutely. If you look at the building, which I don't even think this is here anymore, but if you ever went to Blue Man Group, uh, I have. That been is to Blue, Man Group. Blue Man Group is the building that replaced Nickelodeon Studios. So when you walk through that entrance, you're walking through what you saw as a kid as nickelodeon studios when when i was an employee there me and some friends i don't want to say broke in we didn't break the door was open okay the door was open we walked in the back door um we got lost in the blue man group building and Mm -hmm. if you walk around backstage or at least at the time 
suddenly you start seeing green and orange walls and then you turn another corner and you start seeing tv monitors uh that might have played as like though you were in a queue or part of a studio tour and then you turn a corner and you start seeing nickelodeon characters on the walls slowly the, the further you'd go back the more nickelodeon stuff you realize was still there oh, wow. uh and it was I, i'm sure that's all gone now but Man, I'm so glad. Like, it was like stepping into another dimension. Because as a kid, <laughs> you walk up to this place, there's the slime fountain. Um, there's yeah, You see yeah. costumes of Doug Funny and Ren and Stimpy running around. They actually had Ren and Stimpy costume characters. They didn't look great. Oh my but gosh. as a kid, I was just like, I mean, they were they were the restrooms. Like, the sign pointing to the restrooms were Ren and Stimpy holding their crotches. <laughs> it's like, this was not Disney. <laughs> this was like, this was a rebellious theme park just based on Nickelodeon alone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you could do a, an hour long studio tour there where they would walk you through and show you all the different sound stages where Clarissa and Double Dare and all those things filmed. Um, you could be part of a studio audience there if you wanted. Um, what? Yeah, if you were in the area and, or you knew like a month out that you wanted to see a taping of a show, um, yeah. you could go watch any of those shows being filmed. They would walk you through like how they made cartoons. Like it, it was just like, a legit studio tour of Nickelodeon Studios. That's so great. That's awesome. As opposed to like something maybe a little bit more staged at, I mean, MGM Studios at the time was doing a lot of animation and there was Well, that was the cool thing too about MGM. They had the, uh, the animation tour, which started off with this amazing video. It was a, you sit in a theater and you watch Robin Williams as a cartoon character with Walter Mm -hmm. Cronkite. And they show you like how, the animation department works, but then you'd walk through like they were caged animals. You would look, you would look <laughs> down through the glass. And I actually went when they were making Tarzan. I remember watching them actually animate the movie and thinking, like, oh I want to work here. Like it, like this is where the animated movies are made. But yeah, they made a lot. I, I know they made Pocahontas. They may have made Lion King. Mulan was another one, I think, right? And they were actually when I first started working at Disney MGM, when it was called then Disney MGM Studios, um, there was movie studios that rented out space on the lot. So you had a place called Ideas that made produced TV shows and commercials and stuff. So you actually had live production companies that were renting space out on the back lot of MGM. You wouldn't find that today at all. No. No. Well, what what backstage? Like what? Yeah. <laughs> There's no more no more sound stages. Oh, I'll tell you, the the backlot tour just, I wrote it out till the end. That was, we were giving tours of things that, like, we had nothing. And, 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 you know, there (laughs) used to be a residential street where you'd see things. uh, Probably the coolest thing was the Bulldog Cafe from the Rocketeer was there. Uh, But there was a Golden Girls house, which everyone was like, remember they used to have the Golden Girls house here? Now... That house was only used in like the last two seasons, and they only put that house there so that they could say that they used it in Golden Girls. Like that wasn't the original uh, right, Golden Girls right. house. So there was a lot of truth twisting that we did. Uh, probably the <laughs> biggest thing that filmed back there was a show called Thunder in Paradise, starring Hulk Hogan. He actually filmed oh. in Catastrophe Canyon, so that was like oh my god, that was like Here. the star attraction, like the water tank. I think I saw that. Yeah, all of the he that show probably used the most stuff, and it was the most forgotten thing. Here's something that I probably shouldn't even share, but I'm going to. Uh, okay. The props that you would see when I was a kid at MGM, they had a gift shop themed to an Acme warehouse that was Roger Rabbit themed. Roger Rabbit used oh. to be yes, like I mean. Michael Eisner wanted Roger Rabbit to be the new Mickey Mouse. And he was he was on everything when Michael Eisner was there. And when Michael Eisner got the boot, 
so did Roger Rabbit. Like, you don't hear much about Aww. that character anymore. But he wanted Roger to be his new Mickey Mouse. There was a dip machine that had burst through a brick wall as a movie reference. They actually pulled that merchandise prop out of the store and put it in the boneyard of the backlot tour. And we were told to tell people it was from the movie. It looks nothing <laughs> like the dip machine. I'm sorry, not the, not the dip machine. It was the steamroller that runs over judge doom, but that's, that's what we great. said it was from. There actually were a few props from Roger rabbit. Maybe they're the backlot express cafe. There was a corner where they actually had the frame that Bob Hoskins sat in when he filmed driving Benny the cab. So they actually oh had the my working gosh, vehicle awesome. piece there for a while. I don't know if it's still there. So there's there's some cool stuff scattered around that were not they were not part of the tour. We would actually make things up on the tour. There was another um, collection of Star Wars vehicles that were from the original Star Tours, but we told people that they were used in uh, Return of the Jedi. And one time, uh, my friend Dan, I was driving, and Danny, my friend Danny, was spieling, and they told us last second, "Hey, we put George Lucas on the tour." And I, we both just shit our pants because, oh, my God, it's George Lucas <laughs> right. on the tour. Neither one of us thought about it. And, and Danny, not until we turned the corner to the boneyard, he said, if you look at your left, you're going to see a sand speeder or whatever it was. These were used in Return of the Jedi. And as he said that, he looked directly at George Lucas, like, knowing, like, that's not really <laughs> so, I'm so sorry. Oh, my and God. he just had his arms crossed, shaking his head, saying, no, they're not. No. <laughs> it's like, oh. oh, man, George Lucas just heard our lies about his star wars franchise that's better that's i mean that's better than did i tell i think i told my story about george lucas on here didn't i molly i can't remember i don't think so when i was walking so when i was doing um uh, when i was in shanghai during the opening like celebrations they pulled us because i was helping out with the training stuff but they pulled us to help be tour guides and so I was lucky enough to get assigned to the basically like the board group, which was Bob Iger and all of the other big heads of the Disney company. And then George Lucas just happened to be one of those that was in the group. So, of course, I'm like nerd now, like, oh, my God, George Lucas. Like, so any opportunity I would get, I would walk as close to George Lucas as I could, but not like, you know, don't I wasn't being creepy about it, you know, right. but Anyways, there was a couple different times that we kind of got separated because George would walk a little slower. And as you've seen in pictures, he like walks with his hands behind his back. Like he's just kind of moseying along. So a couple different times we'd get pulled off to the side and go somewhere different. And I'd just follow him. The one thing that I did get to see that was the coolest was he walked into the Star Wars launch bay to see it for the first time in Shanghai. And that was the most amazing thing to watch him just kind of walk around and look at the exhibits. And then the cool thing was like the cast members, they were all the local cast members there. They recognized him and they were kind of, you could all tell, you know, the excitement in the room and they were getting like, Oh my gosh, there's George Lucas, you know? So that was neat. And then they did like a big photo opportunity with all the cast. Then he went in and they, they had, I don't know if they still have it, but they had like this little movie theater where you could go in and it was just basically like, you know, a six-minute show about the six movies that were currently at that time out, uh, the prequels in the original series. And he sat down and he was watching it. And it was like this surreal moment of me standing there watching George Lucas, watching his films on this screen. I was like, I had a tear come down my face. <laughs> so anyways, that cool stuff happened. But then fast forward to we're at the end of the day and we take them backstage to get get on their bus to go back to wherever they were staying. He, there was a brief moment where we were both standing next to each other. And it was like that, that one moment where I was like, okay, it's now or never. Like, 
now's my chance to to say something to George Lucas. And I had been battling in my head with like, what do I say? What do I say? I can't be stupid. Like, I'm sure everybody tells him how much they love Star Wars. Like, I can't do that. Like, what do I do? And so we get to the moment and I'm like, ready. And I go, I said, uh, so how are you guys handling the jet lag? (laughs) (laughs) And he looks at me and he goes, we're doing pretty good. And I was like, Good, good. And then he got on the bus and I walked away. And it was like that moment, you know, the, like the teenager that walks away from the girl that he really screwed up with. And he's like, oh, God, why did I say that? That was so stupid. Oh. <laughs> but oh, that, was my com- that was my conversation with George Lucas. Because <laughs> he really shows some, you're concerned about him, you know? Uh, I know. I, I just, it was awful but aren't those moments just like i mean you know to go back to the moment that you like rolled a tear like yeah standing there watching george lucas watch star wars in a setting of an attraction that you are like all that comes together in one moment yeah anyone who's a fan of film or star wars like you would just like try and keep it together but you'd lose it in that moment oh i couldn't it was it was it was like one of those like beautiful moments in life that Sometimes when you try to explain it to some people, they're like, okay, that's cool. But others, you know, like like us would be like, oh my gosh, like that is a, an amazing moment. Let me tell you about the most, this is the most amazing, most surreal moment. And it happened at Universal, not in Florida, but it happened here in Hollywood. Mm. I was working as a, uh, I was doing guest relations, not as a supervisor. Like I was an hourly like desk clerk, like, hey, how can I help you? I was really wanting to, use universe like do i really wanted to use the sound stages or the the theaters that they had on the lot to ho- to host something like it was like a dream of mine to host something down there and i started getting word from people that like did oh they did a screening of this movie like someone from studio tour did a screening of this movie at one point they actually used and i got to attend this which was amazing they did in hill valley the hill valley set mm. they put up a movie screen and screened back to the future and had a costume oh my contest. god so we all, all the tour guides and employees down there dressed at, you know, did a costume party dressed as Back to the Future characters watching the movie. And when you're watching those last moments of the movie, you know, that are taking place in the area that, that you're sitting. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. that was, that was one of those surreal moments that just like, I think everyone teared up like, we're, <laughs> like we work for this place that we grew up watching in movies and TV. Yeah, well, yeah. I got, I got, you know the word that these kinds of things could in fact happen. So I've been blogging for a long time. And one of the first people that I interviewed uh, for my blog is John Landis, who directed several universal movies. One of them being my, one of my favorite horror nights mazes, one of my favorite horror movies, which is an American werewolf in London. Oh, nice. He also directed like animal house, the blues brothers. Like he's done some like iconic movies for universal. I got to interview him. I met him at spooky empire in Orlando and just like Mm. a nervous kid. I I was getting my blues brothers poster autographed. And I said, can I interview you? He's like, what do you want to interview me about? (laughs) I said, I want to interview you about everything. Um, so we actually did a few. Okay, so at this point, I'm working at, at Guest Relations, and I knew that he lived in Los Angeles. So I said, I'm going to try something. So I took my universal email, and I sent him an email and say, I don't know if you remember doing these blog interviews with me in Florida, but I work at Universal now, and I really want to host a, an evening with John Landis. Oh. And he wrote back immediately and said, that sounds like fun. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> 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 so I went to my manager uh, at Guest Relations and said, hey, 
I, you know, and I said, so, you know, I kind of pitched the idea of having this event. He was like, what well, do you think you really get John Landis? And I said, he said he'd do it. He's like, excuse me. So we start setting up. I, I book the theater. I find out who manages like the, the, the Alfred Hitchcock theater. We start making flyers and putting them around the break room. <laughs> uh, I told John Landis, how's this night work? And we worked out a night. And at this point, it's just me and my manager and I think the director and uh, the director of guest relations. Well, one day I get a phone call. And it's from the vice president of Universal Studios Hollywood. Oh and my it's gosh. His, it's his secretary saying, uh, hey, um, Dave actually wants to speak to you. Can you come up to the office at some point today? Dave Dannon, the vice president. <laughs> oh my uh, gosh. I sit down in his office and he said, um, he said, I got, I got a question for you. Uh, he's like, excuse me, if, pardon me if I'm incorrect here, but why is John Landis coming to talk to guest relations? <laughs> <laughs> and when he put it that way, I was just like, um, I said, because he wants to, because he's my friend. Yeah. Oh, you mean my friend? Yeah. Um, oh, my God. It was such a, I felt like I was in, I felt like I was in the principal's office, which essentially internally I said, I'm going to use this. I'm going to, I'm going to speak with confidence. I'm going to use this moment. And so I just pitched it to him. I was like, look, uh, here's what I want to do. And here's, here's, he's agreed to do it. We booked the room and blah, blah, blah. And I kind of just, you know. Go, just go with it and i pitch it to him instead of mm-hmm. instead of like taking it something as like a slap on the wrist i pitch it to him he goes he's like well i'll be darned he's like he really wants to do this he's like he's not going to show up and tell us like we owe him two thousand dollars for an appearance fee like right right he just willingly is going to come here and he, he just loves universal now he had an office at universal for like 20 years he worked on the mm. lot when uh, hitchcock was like his neighbor on the lot so he went to lunch with alfred hitchcock several times like he has stories from the universal lot that are just like classic so i was like this would be such a great evening and he loves to talk and so i just ranted and raved and then he said Okay, well, let me talk to let me talk to this person and that person and the actual president. I was like, oh my god! Uh, uh. And uh, he's like, could we invite the tour guide? He started getting excited. Like, could we invite this group? Should we invite too many? People? I was like, I don't want to be turning people away from the theater. So it turned from feeling like I was in trouble to actually making it happen. Well, cut to oh the night gosh. that it actually happens. Sold out theater. There's people outside waiting to get in, which is like the ideal scenario. So like. Good. That's taken care of. Now will he actually show up? He comes rolling up. He honks his horn and waves at people as he drives by. I'm, oh my oh gosh. gosh. We're cheering and I'm like, this is just working out. I had a guy that I worked with that works also at Magic Castle. He opened up the evening with a magic show. The night goes great. It's a three hour conversation and it's just two directors chairs. We have, both have microphones and we're just talking to each other and taking audience Q&A. And it was the most surreal experience to be on the studio hmm. lot, talking to a filmmaker whose movies I grew up watching, doing a Q&A for, you know, for Universal employees. Well, this thing ends. He hangs out and talks to all the tour guides, taking pictures, signing posters, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just like, I'm on a high. And I'm just like, well, this night could just not have been any better than it was. Uh, that's when he turns to me and says, he said, what are you doing now? He's like, my, he said, my son-in-law... Uh, is actually working on a movie on the lot tonight, and I want to go visit him if you want to go with me. Oh my gosh. He's like, it's the new Fast and Furious movie. I was like, holy shit. Oh. <laughs> oh, so that oh, small what? film, that small that small thing he's working oh, on. Oh, just, yeah. Indeed. Right, right. Mm-hmm. He's, like, I'll, he's like, I'll drive us over there. I don't know why. This makes me more nervous than the interview, because now it's just like, I'm getting in, I'm getting in John Landis' car yeah. and just taking <laughs> So we go to the car. Uh, we get in, and he puts it in reverse. He floors it, and you just hear, BAM! Oh, no. 
what he floored his car into was a <laughs> golf cart. And the golf cart was hit with such force that it flipped over the curb and hit the side of the commissary. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. When I actually jumped out and looked to see what it was and jumped back in the car and he goes, what did we hit? We had a golf cart. And he goes, well, let's get the fuck out of here. And he peels out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm thinking I'm going to get fired. I'm going to lose my job. There's cameras that caught that. Like, oh my God. I was like, and if I just explain that it's John Landis, oh God, they'll never believe me. Uh, so we start driving and I we just abandoned the golf cart. Um, and... He's like, let's take the long way. And he's pointing out things. He said, um, he said, you know, back when we filmed the Blues Brothers uh, in Animal House, John and I, talking about John Belushi, it's like John and I oh, would sure, just, John. Yeah. he goes, John and I would actually steal shit from this lot all the time. He goes, uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, the set, he's like, we stole a gargoyle from that. I've got that gargoyle in my living room. Oh my gosh. Oh, this is the best night of my life. Wow. And I wasn't even there. That's funny. I'm trying to be cool, like, yeah, John Belushi, whatever. Sure, like, sure, I'm yeah. just, like, shitting my pants. He calls his wife at one point, and he's just like, hey, honey, yeah, it went well. He's like, some of the questions were dumb, but whatever. His wife, by the way, Deborah Noodleman Landis, she is a costume designer, and she's designed all sorts of things, but probably most iconically, she's responsible for the Indiana Jones costume. So that in and of itself oh, wow. blows my mind. But, um, so he's like, I gotta get off the phone now. We're gonna go check out uh, Jared's production. He called it Jared's production. And it's like, this is Fast and the Furious. Jared's production. Um, so we run into the sound stage. We're walking up to the sound stage. And uh, keep in mind, there's no food allowed inside of these sound stages. Very, very strict. But there's uh, you know, a guy making hot dogs outside for the crew. And they all know who, the people outside knew who he was. They're like, oh, Mr. Landis, do you want a hot dog? He's like, yeah, I'll take three, actually. And he's like, here, you can have one. I'm going to have two. <laughs> so we just come waltzing in with hands full of hot dogs. Yeah, I would know John Landis in a heartbeat if I saw him in public. Most of the people working on this movie don't. So we walk onto the soundstage. They're filming, and he comes in holding two hot dogs. I got a hot dog. And uh, we walk up to where they're filming. They're filming a scene where they're... Uh, the stand-in for Vin Diesel is reaching down to grab something. So it's inside his home. On the right side of the soundstage is the inside of Vin Diesel's home. On the left side of the soundstage is the inside of an airplane. Um, so two huge sets. I'm, this is the first time I've seen like a legit major motion picture set. And they're filming, and it's quiet on the set. And, and John Landis, with a mouthful of hot dogs, says... He said, you know, I can film an entire picture for the amount of money that they're using to spend this fucking scene. All the crew members turn around and start looking at him like, who is this oh guy? Can God. someone quiet him down? I got the feeling, because he kept talking shit, I got the feeling that we were about to be asked to leave. Sure enough, someone from the crew walked up and said, uh, sir? <laughs> he said, yes. She said, um, you're John Landis? And he goes, I am. He goes... Uh, she said, F. Gary Gray, the director of the movie. So F. Gary Gray uh, heard that you were here. He asked if I could bring you back to his office. He had a trailer oh on my that. God. Oh, my um, God. He actually was in Coming to America. That was the first thing that he ever did. He was an extra oh, in that wow. movie. And he's, like, geeking out right now. He wants to show you. He actually has a Coming to America poster in his trailer right now. He's like, oh, okay. And he, go and he turned to me. He goes, are you good here? And I was like. I'm good here. So he walked away and I just was standing there on, and I, I hung out on that set for a while, just kind of like pretending like I was meant to be there, but you know, right. silently just backing out, but also not wanting to leave. Cause I'm like, I'm on a movie set. And then I left the soundstage and just kind of walked 
the lot alone in the middle of the night back to my car, I was just like, this is the most Hollywood thing that will ever happen to me. So yeah, those moments, you know, in the moment and you do tear up because it's like this, this just doesn't happen. And you never mentioned the golf cart ever again. Because my manager was pretty cool. I was like, look, here's what happened. And he's like, I think we'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I haven't heard anything yeah, about gosh. it. We drove down there in a golf cart the next morning just to look and see if it was turned. It was, sure. it wasn't there. So I was just like, we're fine. I think we're fine. It was Movie dark. They probably couldn't tell who it was. If they oh, ran God. plates or something, they'd find out it was John Landis and probably just not care anyway. So that's obviously a hard story to top. Um, but, I mean, if you want to attempt, are, are any other kind of like fun, fun, or like fun facts? Like, what were your favorite things to tell people? I spiraled into this rabbit hole from, I think where I left off was walking up to the front gate. What you're going to have uh, are a few areas. They had the front lot. They had Production Central. Um, they have New York, San Francisco, uh, the Expo Center, and to your right, when you walk through, you had Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And then you had a lagoon at the center where they had, like, mm-hmm. stunt shows and stuff. Let's talk about, for, the first thing you're going to see, obviously, are your surroundings. So you're going to see the Hollywood area is so cool. Like, you, MGM did the same thing, where you walk through the Hollywood sections of these parks, and it's the ideal version of, it's the fantasy version of Hollywood. Let right. me tell you, as someone who lives in Hollywood, <laughs> it's yeah. somewhere where you're going to get mugged. <laughs> it's not mm-hmm. a safe place. It's not a clean place. But you can see remnants when you walk around the city. Like, you can still walk. You, you can block out the things surrounding you when you're standing in front of Grauman's. It is magic. There is a lot mm-hmm. of magic in Hollywood, but it's so... You, make sure your wallet's in your front pocket. Make sure you're clutching your purse. <laughs> it's a scary place. But here, you could have, like, the fantasy version of it. So they had their own Walk of Fame. And the stars that you see on the Walk of Fame in Florida are actual actors that had been to the park, which is cool. The structures there are... They, they tell so many stories of Hollywood history. I could go store by store for you, and I'm not going to, but I, but if you walk down that street, just Google, like, the names, like, Cress is on a building, Macombo, like, Google, if you're really bored one day, just <laughs> mm-hmm. each building, Google what's what's on the building, and you'll get all kinds of really cool history, and, and, and the way that it's, the way, the way that, that that street was imagined, it's so small, but it's, there's so much there. Uh, you would see right. when I went as a kid, and I was there for even when I worked there, was the Terminator 2 3D show, which th- at the time, that was revolutionary because you had movie stars returning to their roles and you had James Cameron directing a 3D movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, that was a big deal. It was quite a production. Yeah, I think, to, yeah. I think it got to the point where it's just like, oh, it's T2. But but when sure. it was when that attraction came out like that was the shit <laughs> like that was yeah. a cool uh, but that whole street I, I that might be my favorite street in the park just because it's classic hollywood and it, you cap it off with mel's die uh, mel's drive-in which becomes mel's die-in for halloween horror nights which i think is <laughs> yeah. my favorite t- cherry on top of the halloween horror nights experiences i even have yeah. a shirt that says mel's die-in um but uh <laughs> yeah that street also has the horror makeup show, all kinds of characters walking around. You've got classic Hollywood characters. I was raised on Laurel and Hardy, which people rarely reference today. I, mm-hmm. I, I think because they played on TV so much when I was a kid that people were more aware of them. Oh, the fat guy and the skinny guy, at least they knew that. <laughs> right. But they had the characters there. And to me as a kid, I was like, it's Laurel and Hardy. I thought it was really them. So the first 15 minutes of my first trip to Universal was getting my dad to let me follow Laurel and Hardy around the park. <laughs> Excellent. That was pure magic for me. Like, that could have been the day 
and I could have been like, that's it. That's all I need. So uh, the first attraction we go to is uh, the Hanna-Barbera ride. Uh, it was called the, Fe- the Fantastic World of Hanna-Barbera. This was mm-hmm. straight in. Uh, Beyond it is Nickelodeon. Today, it's Despicable Me, Minion Mayhem. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Jimmy okay. Neutron, a Jimmy Neutron ride. Yep. But it's basically a theater with moving seats. But this is initially themed to Hanna-Barbera characters. So you had, it's like a motion simulator, and you have Yogi Bear, you have the Flintstones, you have Scooby-Doo. Um, the villains of the ride are Dick Dastardly and Muttley, which if you watch Wacky Races, this was just like all of the Hanna Bar- This was the first, for me, this was the Marvel Universe before a Marvel Universe. I'm sure, like, they're all here. And you're trying to rescue Elroy. Dastardly and Muttley kidnap Elroy. And then George Jetson is like, we got to save Elroy. And you go <laughs> through all these different worlds within Hanna-Barbera. Which is funny because that's like, that was the Jimmy Neutron thing too. It was like all the Nickelodeon characters. It's, yeah. Yeah, same. I wasn't a big fan of the show Jimmy Neutron, but any ride that you can get a glimpse of Ren and Stimpy, I'm there. Or Rugrats, <laughs> sure, sure. And all, yeah, you saw all of, like, even if it was just a quick, you know, they fly by really quick, it's like, oh my god, we're in the Nickelodeon. This is a Nickelodeon ride. Uh, I love both of those, but Hanna-Barbera, that was just like, that was the ultimate for me. Uh, and then it, it exits out into like a Flintstones playground and you have all the characters. They actually have the costume characters for Hanna-Barbera there. So that's some more characters that you would see walking around. You'd see Lucille Ball. You'd see Charlie Chaplin, the Marx oh, Brothers. Wow. Uh, you'd see D.W. Griffith. And there's still structures in the park today that reference D.W. Griffith movies. I'm, I'm sorry, not wrong person. Uh, C, um, uh, C.W. Fields. But uh, across the street from that... Okay, so we're standing in line for uh, Hanna-Barbera. And across the street is the Alfred Hitchcock Theater. It's Alfred Hitchcock, the art of making movies, the PG-13 experience. I, I have to go. My parents knew who Hitchcock was. In fact, they saw it. They took a trip to Hollywood when they were... Before I was born, Alfred Hitchcock pulled up in a limo next to them at a red light. Oh, the wow. Alfred Hitchcock? That's crazy. You could tell, like, the silhouette was just there. He was sitting very still. They're like, that was that was our Hollywood moment. They didn't want me watching horror movies. They were very anti-Jason, partly because I was a scaredy cat. And the other part, I think, was for religious reasons. They were like, I don't want him watching uh, these demon, demonic movies. Like, I've got to go in. <laughs> this is my favorite attraction of all time. You walk in. The lobby is filled with decorations of prop pieces from movies that he made for throughout his entire career, which was like 50-something movies. Uh, and then someone comes out and <clears throat> introduces that you'll be going into the theater. The next thing you go into is a theater where you put on 3D glasses and you watch a greatest hits of Hitchcock film, which as you're watching this greatest hits... And there were movies he made that were in 3D, like Dial M for Murder with Grace Kelly. So you're seeing mm-hmm. movies that were meant to be seen in 3D. I don't think at that time you could see them in 3D anywhere else. Suddenly... Wow. Uh, claws start coming through the screen and birds start tearing the screen apart and it becomes Ah. a bird's 3D movie. Oh, geez. And then uh, eventually some, one of the attendants will say, okay, the birds are attacking the theater. Everyone move to the next room. So everyone gets up and they move to the next room. Yeah. (laughs) You sit down in in a theater, which is a stage show. And on the stage is the psycho set. So you have the Bates mansion and the Bates motel and it's raining in the theater and lightning, and it's uh, it's essentially if if Psycho ever went to Broadway, this is what it would look like. Um, they play a video of Anthony Perkins talking about the importance of the Psycho franchise and blah blah blah, and uh, and the shower scene specifically. And then they take a volunteer from the audience and they recreate the shower scene on stage to show you how Hitchcock filmed it. Dang. Jeez. They have a director on stage saying like. 
explaining why it was so revolutionary that scene specifically and and they actually film it with the guest uh, i don't know if they could actually get the video or not but you watched it on the screens and it was really bizarre to sit in the sit there with your parents and watch someone be murdered in the shower as part of the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But really <laughs> cool <clears throat> and then the next room you went to was like an Alfred Hitchcock playground where you could, the Statue of Liberty from Saboteur, you could actually make it look like you were falling off the arm of the Statue of Liberty. Um, you could make it look like you were on the carousel from Strangers on a Train. You could pick up binoculars and spy on the neighbors like you were in a uh, rear window with Jimmy Stewart. Oh and so these sections of the exhibit, they would have a video saying, hi, I'm Jimmy Stewart, back in 1950, whatever. And so he would introduce that piece and you really just like, left that 45-minute attraction knowing Alfred Hitchcock's entire filmography. Oh, that's so good. There was a Bates Motel gift shop that sold, you know, everything, bathrobes and keychains, and they had Hilarious. the movies, and that's where I became aware. I saw the giant poster for Psycho 2 with the huge R rating on it. I was like, I know what I'm getting next time I go to Walmart. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah so that attraction i would say that's the attraction that instilled in me a desire to learn more about how movies are made but i went home knowing like i want to watch these movies and i want to make movies so that one yeah very important for me um the universal studio store which is still there is the first thing you see inside to the left i love the design of the store i hope they never change the artwork that's on the building but inside now you can get like basic theme park crap back in the day they had a whole movie library like you go in and you could actually see all of the universal movies on vhs always wanted to buy movies like that's where i bought my first copy of john's my first copy of beetlejuice that was my movie st like i was obsessed with going there as a kid they had all the movie posters like legit movie posters Mm. Oh, that's so smart. It w it felt like you were at a movie studio store. And, yeah. the, and the jackets and shirts and stuff like were really classy. Same thing with MGM. My dad still has this really nice, like, almost looks like a director's jacket with Disney MGM Studios and silver on the back. Like, it was... Ooh. I you just don't see that kind of merchandise there today. No. What else was on that street? Oh, well, another of my favorites. At the end of the street on the left, it, that's where you go into New York City. It, you can see it from the moment you walk into the park. On the left is the firehouse from Ghostbusters. And they have the Ghostbusters spooktacular live stage show, which, I mean, if Nickelodeon wasn't great enough, <laughs> you actually go into the firehouse and, it, and, and Lewis Tully is there and he does a pre-show that he hosts and uh, you have Janine and you just feel like you are in the firehouse. And then you go into a theater where it's, essentially the last scene of the first movie but you see all of it you see slimer you see the stay puff marshmallow man again i mentioned you know psycho stage show on broadway this would be the ghostbusters on broadway show like the stage was that hmm. was that detailed and I, oh man i wish i worked there i wish i could have been a team member there to actually get a photo on that stage or, or go up close to the stay puff marshmallow man I mean, even today, looking back at it, it's like, there, yeah, there's some cheap effects, but, like, ultimately, like, that, it puts you in Ghostbusters. That's so cool. So that's, was that all the way down the street? Like, pa like so I'm just thinking in, like, contemporary or, like, current Universal. So it's past, like, the outdoor music theater lawn. Directly straight back, you have the New York Public Library. The library, yeah. 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 That was intentionally put there because it 
that was played such a big oh, part of okay. Ghostbusters, the opening scene of the first movies in the library. Directly next to that now Hollywood Rip Ride Rocket, the roller coaster actually right. goes through the window of the firehouse. It's still painted yes. to look like the firehouse. You'll know it when you see it, like, oh, that's the, that was the Ghostbusters firehouse. I wish they would oh, just put, right. like, the sign out there. I think Cheryl said this last year, but um, wasn't the Ghostbusters Horror Nights house in the soundstage right there wasn't that like intentional yeah i well the so what replaced it was twister ride it out which all i mean iconic that one left a bitter taste in my mouth because it replaced ghost but like you can't replace ghost but like with twister well helen hunt though yeah what is it bill paxton talks about the finger of god that's probably my favorite (laughs) (laughs) quote from any theme park video (laughs) twisters are like the finger of god i'm like oh god wow (laughs) They gutted a lot of it and changed It's not, I don't think even Twister was in the same theater, I don't think. And then I think there's a soundstage behind that attraction where Ghostbusters was. So I think the intention was, let's make it close to where you would have seen the Ghostbusters show. It was supposed to like invoke nostalgia for those those who knew. Uh, And then they had a Ghostbusters street show. Was, was that the Beetlejuice one? Yeah, where they uh, so that was that one opened up in the early nineties. Yeah, it was uh, Street Street Busters. Yeah, so Street Busters. <laughs> I don't know why they couldn't be Ghostbusters. Huh. They were Street Busters. Sure. But yeah, they were trying to bust Beetlejuice. But that was replaced with one that I actually liked a lot more, based on Extreme Ghostbusters, which was a TV show. It was a cartoon that was a spinoff of the real Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the cartoon introduced the very first female Ghostbuster, which was voiced by Tara Strong. So long before you had, you know, uh, Kate McKinnon and all of them doing the Ghostbusters right. movie, we did have a female Ghostbuster. And she's still pretty uh, prominent in the comics. That show, I love. like, that's a show that, no, like, people might remember the Ghostbusters show, but the street show with the extreme Ghostbusters, mm. that's forgotten. But that, that's but like, yeah, so many, stuff. so many extras, I guess you would call them on the street, like, I love. I don't know how I feel about, how do you feel about Rip Ride Rocket? Oh, um, well, if Cheryl here, she'll tell you, um, we both literally pass out on that roller coaster. Well, that's good. Like blackout. <laughs> and then we come to during the straightaway. We both do it. But I haven't been on it since, um, I mean, at least 10 years. Because now I'm like, well, I'm, t- I'm too old to where like passing out on roller coasters indicates like an underlying health condition. And I should probably, <laughs> probably not take note of that shouldn't be happening. Push it. Right. I think it's a, impre- from like a, sometimes this is important in theme parks. Like what is the view walking in or from City Walk or even from Islands of Adventure? Like, the view of that roller coaster is impactful. So like that's important. And it's a pretty fun coaster as far as coasters go. But what's the theme of Rip Ride Rocket? Like someone uh, desperately needs someone to explain that to me. There is no theme and that bothers me a lot. The the, the (laughs) theme almost feels like, it almost feels maybe like it was built in the time of American Idol being popular. Like, ooh, iPods and people love, but let's make a hip new coaster. On-demand music was like- That's the idea. Like you can listen to whatever you want. Now here's where- Here's the genius thing that I think was intentional is you can pick from like 30 songs, but they uploaded a secret menu with a thousand songs or whatever it is. Um, So you can go on there with a secret code and listen to the score from the Muppet movie if you want. I also, there's a part, there's 50% of me who's like mad that they don't update the music. And then the other half of me is like, never change Rip Red Rocket. Like never. Limp Biscuit all the way. Yeah. It'll, at a certain point, it'll become very nostalgic. Yeah. Like this ride is dated or look here's the thing 
Universal Studios Florida is not where you want to... It's not a roller coaster park. It never was intended to be that. It is scary when you're going up the hill and all your change starts falling out of your pocket that you forgot to take out and put in the locker. Yeah, and now you're in trouble. And you're getting hit in the face with quarters from the people in front of you. Like, that's scary. You know, as a ride, I enjoy it, but it doesn't fit... For me, it's not universal. The great thing about original MGM and original original Universal is you could walk through the park and it was same thing as Epcot, where you walk through Epcot and you learn about culture and you learn about technology and you learn about the history of communication. Epcot was always like this just massive, like, this is where a school should plan a trip to teach kids about everything. Everything, sure. Like, yeah. here's the history of China and then here's mm-hmm. also like, why you should eat fruit and Mm -hmm. then you know but also here's you know here's a fun little show with michael jackson dancing in space Mm -hmm. that didn't teach us anything but it was a really good break it was a it was a nice break for yeah i don't know what that was intended to teach us but it it was intended to teach us that you can spend all of the money in the world and have the director of the godfather make a space opera and Mm -hmm. it it not be so great but uh you know it's so bad it's good i i love captain eo I will always ha- I will always sing those songs till the day I die. When I was a kid, I cried when I saw Angelica Houston as the villain. It's stupid now. If you watch the movie now, she's constantly p- putting her nails in this, like making her nails come out of the screen. Like, were you afraid? Was that was that before or after witches? You know that I think that villain. I mean, we're talking about a 17 minute film, which she's only like in a third of it, but. This was 1986. I think Witches was early 90s. Maybe she got Mm. Witches based on her... You know, I was in a Coppola movie once. Which one? Well... Yeah, we don't... (laughs) Move on. God, how did we get on Captain EO? Where were we? uh, Uh, Rip Ride Rocket? How did that happen? (laughs) Okay, well, okay, yeah. So, Rip Ride Rocket. Oh, yeah. So, we were talking about how walking through these parks, MGM and Universal, was an education in movies, how movies are made. Uh, Not only that, but you learn about... Like, you can, in the lobby of the horror makeup show, you learn about German expressionism and that Lon Chaney did all of his own makeup and it's still never really been figured out how he did it. And he kind of created the universal monster along with Carl Limley Jr., who was inspired by Nosferatu. And Mm -hmm. uh, he's the reason, like, people fought, even his own dad who founded Universal, fought against Universal making monster movies. And they made Hunchback, Mm -hmm. they made The Phantom of the Opera, these movies with Lon Chaney and it just took off. And then that begat Dracula with Bela Lugosi and Frankenstein with Boris Karloff. And then so on, you reach Creature from the Black Lagoon. And it's like, here's all of these movies that started horror in America begins yeah. with the owner's son saying, I want to make a scary movie, dad. Interesting. Um, so it's, uh, it's so much history just in that company. This company has been around since the beginning of movies. Like, right. Like over how many? Like a, it's over a hundred years, years now that Universal's yeah. been around. Yeah. So um, the the history yeah. of it's fast. Like if you're a history nut or a movie geek, walking through these parks, especially back then, would is just like it's just a big playground. It's it, it was, yeah. and there were so many things in both Disney and Universal, like the screen test home video adventure. Um, they had an MCA recording studio. Like they had all these little things. Um, that you go into and like learn how to make sounds for movies and yeah. my favorite being at Disney, uh, what's it called? It was like a, a something like the Monster Sound Show, where you would. It's where um, the Drew Carey Sound Show eventually went to. I don't know oh, what's sure. there now. Sounds American... dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> so, sounds dangerous. One of the worst. 
attractions of all time. Before yeah, yeah, that, yeah. it was Chevy Chase and Martin Short in a monster movie, and you actually went on that stage. And, yeah, you make all the sound effects for their monster movie. Um, sounds dangerous. You didn't make sound effects. You just kind of put on, uh, you know, gross headphones that thousands of people have worn. Oh my god! In COVID times, could you imagine? No, like they didn't clean. You know, they didn't clean those. You know Never. that those college program kids did not clean those headphones. We had so many ears in our ears every time we watched Sounds Dangerous. That, that sounds dangerous. Oh, and you know what else they had at Disney was the, um, they show you how they made sitcoms. They would build half the, this was an American Idol, uh, what became American Idol, which I guess now is Frozen. Um, yes. They had okay. half the stage, they had a rotating stage, and so they'd bring a guest up to play, for example, you get picked from the audience, you could become, I don't know if you're Al or Tim, but you were one of the Tool Time characters from Home Improvement. So right. half the set was Tool Time, the other half was green screen, and then they edited you into Home Improvement. So you were hosting Tool Time with Tim Allen. Um, they could put you in the Cheers bar, they could put you at the um, the chocolate counter with Lucy for I Love Lucy. But it showed you, like, this is, you'd be the studio audience, and this is what the stage looks like, and this is how we make sitcoms. It was so educational. Speaking of Lucy, they had, it's a Hello Kitty store now, but when you walked into the park, the first thing you'd see on your right uh, was Lucy, a tribute, uh, which that alone taught you not only about Lucy and a lot of famous comedians, just because they were on the show, they were featured there, but they actually had a whole mock-up of the original I Love Lucy set. And if you ever wondered what I Love Lucy looked like in person, it was a black and white set. They brought in a cinematographer that worked on movies like the original Universal Monster movie for The Mummy. He came in and, and set up shop for what would be the... It wasn't the first sitcom, but I Love Lucy was the first sitcom to utilize a live studio audience, which happened because Lucy Lucille Ball was used to doing vaudeville, so she was oh, yeah. uncomfortable performing for no one. So they, that's Desi Arnaz said, well, what if we add an audience? So they brought an audience so that she had, you know, someone to laugh at her jokes. So that's oh, where the studio yeah. audience was born. The idea of syndication came from this because before then they didn't film sitcoms on film, uh, but they actually, they actually filmed this show. So sitcoms that happened before Lucy, they don't really have copies of to watch. This is the first oh. one that created episodes on film so that you could do reruns. So wow. reruns actually began because Lucy got pregnant in real life. And at the time, you couldn't show a pregnant woman on television. Correct. So, that is distasteful. Jason. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not right. They didn't sleep right. in the same bed. Right. Now, however, she eventually went on to have a kid. She had little Ricky on the show, which that in itself was groundbreaking. Mm -hmm. um, but when she had to go off air because she was actually pregnant, that's when they said, well, what if we showed old, old episodes when people watch that? And that's where the rerun began. I feel like the further and further we go along the more you see it like, well, let's put a t-shirt shop there. Let's put the, let's, <sighs> an exception. I don't really like what, what replaced Twister is the Jimmy Fallon ride. Have you been on the ride? I have. I've been on it once. As a ride, I don't know what you think. But it's, I don't like the ride, like at all. As a ride, no, it's dumb. I don't, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. Why are we going to space with Jimmy Fallon? And it makes me dizzy. Like I'm not having fun. I, I'm tired of seats moving in, in front of a movie screen. Yeah. Uh, I don't need 3D. I know this is like cliche now, but I'm done with three. Like, give me something other than 3D screens. That being said, I'm a huge late night talk show fan. Okay. So yep. walking into the building that looks very much like 30 Rock yep. and walking through the lobby and walking through the what is essentially a Tonight Show museum mm -hmm. uh, and yep. even having the, the dancing panda and all that, yep. like 
physical stuff. It's like, oh wow, well, the movie's a letdown. Go upstairs. That's where all like there's memorabilia and, yeah. and all sorts of yeah. That's great. You know, I I'm happy it exists for that reason. Uh, and it looks great. The building looks great there. Would I rather have Ghostbusters? Yes. But does it make sense? It does, except for the actual film itself. I'm like, why? <laughs> why is it this? And you know what they could have done? The idea of The Tonight Show is celebrities. Like, you're going to tune in to see a celebrity. This yeah. movie, if it was filled with celebrity cameos... Of course. Which, it's universal. They could have done. They could have afforded. Yeah. Spielberg would have been there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, he's still hosting the E.T. adventure, so... Thank God. <laughs> he even did an updated version so that he would look like modern Spielberg. He was, he was like, that's 90 Spielberg, let me give you a, but you it a looks 2000 <laughs> Spielberg. With... He hasn't aged. I mean, much. He's He looks amazing, is what I mean. Yeah, he yeah. wears a scarf now. We need scarf Spielberg. But we talked about Horror Nights. I love all the creepy stuff. I love the Beetlejuice Graveyard Review, also extinct from the park. Well, in, that, in the Beetlejuice Theater... For Horror Nights, they used to have the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which oh, I, I miss so more good. than Beetlejuice. Uh, that was yes. that was such a great... To have live performers doing Rocky Horror for Horror Nights, right. like, why would you take that out? That's that's perfect. I wish that was still there. I agree. That was, yeah, I love that. But of course, you got the biggest monster. Well, you've got the two biggest monsters. One not even owned by Universal, which was King Kong. You know what's funny is that Universal thought they owned King Kong, when the video game from Nintendo, Donkey Kong, came out. So they sued Nintendo, saying, Don King Kong's ours, you can't do Donkey Kong, that's too close, and that we'll, we'll see. They took them to court, and Nintendo proved that Universal actually never owned King Kong. It was it was public domain, and they just put it in, the, in their tram tour in Hollywood, and Universal thought that they owned it. So they sued Nintendo, and Nintendo sued them back and won a lawsuit. King Kong is not owned by Universal. Lesson learned. But now Universal will have a Nintendo Land. Nintendo theme park. Yeah, it's a very... There's there's a lot of great YouTube videos about the Universal Delightful. Nintendo history. It's very, very funny stuff. But Confrontation, Revenge of the Mummy, which replaced it. I think that's a great attraction. Great. I mean, great attraction. It's phenomenal. The idea, like the queue, like if you don't watch the videos in the queue, I don't like Hollywood's version because they cut out the backstory. Yes. In Orlando, the queue provides the backstory of their shooting a new Mummy movie. And Brandon Fraser is there being interviewed. So you're watching an EPK of them yes. being, uh, of them doing like, you know, the interviews and the set is haunted. So what a twist. Like you're visiting the set of the new movie that the movie yeah. set is haunted. And uh, so I love the theming of it and the videos are so funny. Yeah. But as a ride, it does not disappoint. No, it's fantastic. It's disorienting. It's one of the greatest moments of any ride is pulling up to the end and the team mem member saying, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed your, and then she gets murdered. Murder, brutally murdered in front of you. And then you, but you don't, you don't even have time to react to it. You're out of there. Yeah, she gets blown exactly. up and then the room gets set on fire. Mm -hmm. and yeah, and then you're spit out down a foggy, a wet foggy hill. Like, oh, it's just well, great. Right. And death is just the beginning. Like, I can't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's great. I, I, that's one as a tour guide I would ride. I would never skip that. I would always ride that. But the confrontation that came before it, I mean, that's King Kong. Like, that's epic. It's classic. It's, uh, you yeah. know, and when the, when the ride came out in the 80s, they had remade King Kong with Jessica Lange. So you had, like, it was fresh, but it was also classic. The queue for that ride felt like you were waiting in line at a New York City subway station and it felt dirty, it felt gross, it felt like it intentionally was that way to put you in New York City. It felt like you're in a 1980 subway station in New York. Damn. If anyone that's been on this ride 
this is the thing that they always talk about more than the ride itself uh, is the queue. The queue is just so much fun and so impressive. And they always had movie posters for, like, you felt like you're in a subway, so you're seeing all these movie posters. Yeah. And I remember I was taking note of the movie posters in the subway, and we watched those movies at the hotel that night. You had giant, like, you get on this uh, airway subcar, and you're actually, Mm -hmm. like, seeing giant animatronics of King Kong, like something they don't even do in Hollywood anymore. Well, I was just going to say... Confrontation seems, and I never experienced it. I just know know what I know of it, or have seen videos and photos and stuff. But it is in complete contrast to the typical Universal attraction right now, right? It's like Confrontation was big sets. It was an innovative ride system that, like, hey, you're hanging, right? That's you don't. No, get that King that a lot Kong of can grab the vehicle and shake it, like for a right. for, for a '90s ride. Yeah, that's incredible. And you're just it's this massive, massive show building and all these giant sets, and now. You're in a moving theater often. And that's the cool thing about The Mummy is that you do get animatronics, you get rooms full of fire, you get, as a whole, Revenge of the Mummy, Florida only, not Hollywood. I don't like Hollywood, Mm -hmm. but Florida only, it is, that's one of the greatest roller coasters I've ever been on. And it doesn't even go upside down. And it's still, it's even better when they only have one track open because when you go through the dude's mouth, when he says your souls are mine, like it's Mm -hmm. so dark. So whenever the ghosts flash... Uh, it really is like you're so disoriented you're yeah. yeah yeah it's really disorienting and the whole thing's really dark yeah that's a great so i'm okay with it. i miss king kong but i'm okay with that okay all right uh, well, the other fair. big monster of course is jaws which okay this is this one's tough because yeah. you replace amity island with london <sighs> and uh and harry potter diagon mm. alley Diagon Alley is probably the most beautiful thing I've ever seen built in a theme park. It's so massive and wonderful and so detailed and immersive and perfect. Yeah, but... (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about Jaws. And when you're talking about Jaws, here's my big problem with Universal Studios today. You're talking about a park that has removed all of their own properties that they're known for and replaced them with Warner Brothers. We'll take... We'll put in the Transformers. We'll put in uh, Harry, Harry Potter. Potter. Like, yeah, it's better than a rubber shark. But that ride, the Amity Boat Tours, is that is to Universal Florida what the Studio Tour is to Hollywood. Like, that is just yeah. like you ride it several times in one day because you never know what the tour guide is going to be like. <laughs> you actually, as a kid, like you get to see someone take a shotgun and blow the blow a hole in a shark, s- set it on fire, blow him up. Like it. Well- it and was an exciting ride. Well, you and I, our our era, we grew up with the commercials on TV, and that was the image of Universal Studios. Either coast, I don't know. Like I didn't know the difference, but when you when you knew there was a Universal theme park, you knew there was a Jaws attraction. I just have this fear. It keeps me up at night. Um, where people our age bring their families to Universal, thinking they're gonna see this. They've got Jaws. Like you're gonna love it, and they get there, no Jaws removing into small worlds i don't know uh did you see the movie mall rats no there's a a wedding in that movie that takes place at the uh the jaws part of the studio tour like someone wants to get married at at the jaw where the jaw where the shark jumps out of the water (laughs) (laughs) it's a great moment um but the but the one in hollywood is like a moment on the tram tour the one in California or the one in Florida was like you see Chief Brody's house well you see Chief Brody's house in Hollywood too but it was it was like 12 minutes though yeah but another great thing about it is the queue had like an hour-long video that was really funny it was all like 
it was all like hometown commercials for Amity Island, like oh, great. yeah, selling used cars and all that kind of stuff uh, if you need to get fishing bait. But it was it was so many funny commercials, and it the video lasted your entire wait, so you didn't actually watch the same videos over and over. It, it was, wasn't a loop. You wanted to stay in the queue, like, I want to stay until it's done with the loop. Uh, but they also had movie sets, like, you, depending on what movie was playing at the time, you could walk through Universal and go to the set of Casper. You go to the set of the Swamp Thing, of Swamp Thing TV show, like, if they had Jurassic Park, I remember, um, the uh, exhibit was, you know, props and costumes and stuff from Jurassic Park when that first came out. Was that, it was in a soundstage or did it have its own? Casper had its own soundstage where you could see the full-blown sets. Uh, mm-hmm. Jurassic that... Park was in the queue, it was in the lobby of the horror makeup show. So you could see, mm-hmm. they had the cars outside and then inside they had props and costumes and stuff. Yeah, you said a couple minutes ago of like Universal kind of selling out on its own history to take on Warner Brother property. It's a shame because nostalgia is marketable and if, if someone would have put their foot down and said that like 20 years ago, the park may look different um, and feel different and actually be, there could be a whole generation of people who go there more often for nostalgia and just kind of the history and the... Yeah, another huge thing that I have conflicting feelings on, I'm a huge fan of The Simpsons. And and the, to have Springfield and to have, you know... You can get a Lard Lad donut or a Duff beer or right. uh, go to Moe's Tavern. Like, that's ma- like it's anyone so who likes The Simpsons. And look, you're talking about a show that's like one of the longest running TV shows ever. However, The Simpsons is Fox and you replaced Back to the Future, which is one of your masterpieces as a yeah. studio. Um, and that ride, which, you know, starred Christopher Lloyd, um, was amazing. So yeah. amazing that it's uh, the Blu-ray just came out, the the new Back to the Future collection, and they actually have, you can watch the cue videos and the movie footage from the ride. So you can actually pretend, like, turn you know turn up the volume in your house, pretend that you're on the Back to the Future ride. I mean, look, I could talk for hours more about Universal, but I think I get the, I got the point across, which is it, it, I mean, even the nighttime show, briefly, they had uh, Universal's night, or Universal's Cinematic Spectacular, yeah. Before that, they had, it was called Universal 360, a Cinesphere Spectacular. Come on. Which wasn't, <laughs> which wasn't as good, but uh, but the Cinematic Spectacular, where it was the 100-year celebration. Mm-hmm. Oh, that one made me cry every time I watched it. Like, Well, that's good. They yeah. nailed, if you can watch that one on YouTube, they nailed that show. And that show was the perfect way to end your day at Universal saying, That's beautiful. Here's, it's their version of Wishes. And mm. their version, you get to see John Carpenter's The Thing. You get to see Kurt Russell with a flamethrower. So it's, yeah. uh, to me, better than Wishes. But um, yeah. ultimately, though, there's so many things that like I'm not going to go into because there's just so much time. The Wild West stunt show was always like a, a huge thing for me as a kid. Also, the Murder, She Wrote Theater. I don't know if you remember that, but Angela Lansbury actually hosted a... Well, you would go into a soundstage. The idea was you were looking at the production, you know... Uh, special effects makeup sound effects visual effects oh, okay. uh, editing okay. and she's like well this is how we make murder she wrote now obviously this <laughs> this attraction's not going to last long <laughs> but Aww. but for me like i grew up watching that show with my great grandmother so see yeah. like going like there's a murder she wrote ride it wasn't a ride but still <laughs> it was a, a murder mystery theater based around murder she wrote but based around the production of the tv show that's incredible also yeah. if you watch murder she wrote i don't know if it's still streaming somewhere there's an episode 
to tie this all together. There's an episode where she's investigating a murder that happened on the set of Psycho at Universal Studios. Like, it is actually in the show, it is the set of Psycho. Someone killed someone on the set of Psycho, and she actually goes to the Bates Motel. If that's that's, not magic, I don't know what on television is. So good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that did really kind of bring us back to the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> really did. Thank you, uh, Jessica Fletcher. <laughs> she is magic. She truly is. Yeah, all this has been so good, and I, I'm envious of anyone who got to experience Universal Studios Florida in the 90s. I there, didn't. I didn't go till 2007. There was a um, video that they sold in the gift shop, which, of course, I purchased. There was one for Orlando and one for Florida. They look almost exactly the same, but I think they're both on YouTube. It's hosted by John Forsythe, okay. who is an actor that, you know, kids love John Forsythe. Yeah. Uh, but he was actually in a Hitchcock yeah. movie, Topaz, I think he was in. But uh, but um, it he basically hosts a day in the park at Universal. Wow. So if you want, it, it has the best footage of all the things that I'm mentioning. Um there's cheesy parts of the video, but it actually shows, like, right. Jimmy Stewart and Anthony Perkins and all these. It, it shows, like, high-quality filmed versions of the park, which is kind of hard to find. Um, but YouTube does have a plethora of, if you want to see oh. that Casper walkthrough, you can find it. Oh, I'm interested. Yeah. Uh, it's worth watching. It's, uh... And Disney used to do that, too. They used to have the VHS, like, a day in the Magic Kingdom, a day in Epcot. I bought all that shit. I wish I... I, I hope my parents still have it at their house. I had, like, a massive VHS collection. I was the kid that was always calling the toll-free number to order yeah. the vacation package every year because I, I wanted the I new video. <laughs> I did the same thing. And every year, it was like, there's literally nothing different in it. But it looked, it, like, <clears throat> the box was different. But, yeah, I got it every year. But it was, yeah, well. it, it was like, ooh, now it says 2000. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a different year. Like, that was pretty big. <laughs> the Millennium Celebration was that's <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's true, actually. But between 96 and 98, yeah, nothing changed oh my god this has been so fun well i mean you know i think we officially are now this episode is now longer than titanic so we we did it (laughs) oh shit we were through two vhs copies (laughs) 